there. Do you relate to possibly being a codependent? I have to admit, I struggled with this one. I struggled it as I listened and read all of these books for years on codependency. I just didn't want to label myself. And when I finally found this book, which is a new book, but it has a chapter that I was like, oh my God, it's undeniable. Um, it is just the differences between a narcissist and a codependent and how the core symptoms of codependency are reflected in both the narcissist as well as the codependent. And then it put it all together for me. So this book is called Dating, Loving, and Leaving a Narcissist by Darlene Lancer. And in this book, again, we're gonna we're gonna talk about today the the core traits of codependency. And we're going to talk about how they relate to the codependent um, and how they relate to a, a narcissist because once we see them we see some of the things like i struggled with code control i don't control people i didn't think i did until i read i controlled them with my perfectionism i controlled the impression of how they think i was by not making any mistakes so that they would like me uh i, I control people by my people pleasing by always being there for them and helping and i thought that was a good thing i was raised to think that but i was raised to think that by a narcissistic alcoholic mother so the the impressions that i got in my head were not correct and darlene is going to talk to us today about the differences and how shame ties it all together both for the narcissist and the codependent so my name is tracy malone i am the founder of narcissist abuse support.com and i am a coach and i am an author um, my book is called divorcing your narcissist you can't make this shit up but today we're going to talk darlene lancer so let's get into it and go meet darlene welcome darlene i'm so glad to have you back oh thank you it's really a thrill i love being on your show and i'm um, looking forward to our conversation well, you know, after we did our last interview about your book, and I'm going to hold up your book, it is Dating, Loving, and Leaving a Narcissist by Darlene Lancer. And Thank you. And I bring you back because chapter five, I mean, I don't even want to show you how many pages, <laughs> highlights, and oh, every single thing, and look at this page. <laughs> Everybody know this, this is such an important chapter. I've never seen anything like it. So it's, it's really about comparing the narcissist and the, the core things about codependency with and and us. So mm -hmm. I'm going to start by asking you, where does codependency originate? Codependency is considered generational mm -hmm. and it starts in childhood. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that it's inherited genetically, but the behavior of a parent passes it down. Mm -hmm. And it has to do with the relationship with the primary caretakers mm -hmm. and parent and the whole family dynamics. So in my book, Codependency for Dummies, I describe a dysfunctional family. And a lot of those characteristics, it comes from family system research, such as dysfunctional communication, uh, not inequality, uh, a closed system, authoritarianism, uh, lack of respect for the individual. A lot of those symptoms of a closed, a dysfunctional system lead to codependency. But 
in my thinking, it starts really much even much younger, even mm -hmm. in the relationship in infancy with the mother. Or I'm just going to say mother, but the primary caretaker. Um, that's how we form a self. Mm -hmm. And in my book on, I don't remember if it's conquering shame or in codependency, I say that shame and codependency co-emerge. So I can't say which causes which first. Okay. Because when the mother isn't attuned to an infant, the infant doesn't get a sense of itself. So a, a child needs to feel that it's loved and accepted and that a parent wants a relationship with them, not just that they're um, giving them their material needs or they say, I love you, but they actually want a relationship with you for who you are. Mm -hmm. Not because you perform, not because you're a good girl or a nice boy or follow directions, but they're interested in you. Mm -hmm. And when they don't um, show that, that causes shame. Mm -hmm. And when they don't mirror your feelings and your needs, not only does that cause those feelings and needs and things to be shamed, but also doesn't help you develop an identity, a separate identity. Mm -hmm. And on my website, I wrote a blog uh, called um, Paradise Lost, Whatever Happened to My True Self. Mm -hmm. And a mother is supposed to mirror the infant's expression. So if a mother's depressed and her face is kind of down or emotionless, the baby doesn't get that feedback. Mm -hmm. Or she doesn't attune to whether baby wants to be held or left alone or fed or whatever the baby needs emotionally and physically, then the baby doesn't get a sense that uh, I have needs and they can get filled. Mm -hmm. right. And if that happens enough, not once in a while, but chronically, the baby gets anxious and it starts scanning the environment like, is mother coming? Is she not coming? Is she going to be in a good mood or a bad mood? Mm -hmm. And so what happens is the baby starts um, becoming hypervigilant instead of looking inside oh, I have needs and I trust that they'll be filled and all is right with the world <laughs> and I'm safe. The baby is constantly looking outside. Mm -hmm. And then even more so, as you get older, um, a baby may learn that it, has, it can't cry because it's going to upset the mother or be spanked or something like that. Mm -hmm. Or that it... Um, uh, that the mother is not coming, then what they found is that the baby fills that emptiness mm -hmm. with negativity. So I could go on. There's more things that happen, like splitting, individuation. Yeah. So, but it basically, it starts in childhood. So if a mother is codependent, mm -hmm. I'll give you an example of my own parenting, okay. which is embarrassing to talk about. <laughs> but I had a, a, a baby that was very colicky. I was only around 25. And I couldn't get him to stop crying in the middle of the night. And by the way, I was working full time. So I wasn't home all day to take care of him. So, and I'd hold him or pat him or whatever, and he wouldn't stop crying. And I would 
And this would happen like night after night. Um, and I took it personally. So I, so, you know, I felt rejected. And then I got angry. <laughs> so that's my own codependency. You know, I was like um, reacting to a baby as if it's rejecting me rather than it just has needs. Yeah. So that's just one example. Or another example is if a parent needs that baby's dependency to feel worthwhile. I had a client that given her life situation, there was no way that it would be reasonable for, have a, for, had, for her to have a child. But she said she feels better about herself when she has a baby to take care of. Yikes. <laughs> yeah, right. With, uh, with someone, well, I won't go into her situation, but it didn't make any sense at all. So that's the reason a, a lot of um, women have children mm -hmm. is to fill their self-esteem, to feel needed. And then as a child gets older, they want more independence naturally, and the mother might just hover over them, be a helicopter mom, or be all distraught when they're supposed to go to daycare or nursery school. So then the child starts accommodating to the mother's needs and won't, won't move on because it's taking care of the mother or it has to quell some of its emotions. And then that gets even worse as you get older and a mother says, don't cry, uh, you shouldn't be afraid, all the shaming. And so you start to suppress your natural needs and instincts and feelings. And if that happens long enough, they go unconscious. You don't, you stop feeling it. You don't even recognize your needs. Mm -hmm. You certainly don't have names for them. That's a big problem with codependence. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's all codependency is on a continuum. Mm -hmm. So some people uh, know what they feel and they can name them. Others are out of touch with their feelings and they can't name them. And then needs is usually worse, mm -hmm. especially emotional needs. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of in a summary of like your. That's a good summary. Your question. What, what I loved about the book was was. Um, you know, the tie, which we're going to get into, like, mm -hmm. characteristic by characteristic um, of the, the core characteristics that you said of codependency. But what hit home for me when I was reading this was you had a line, codependency underlines all addictions, including romance, relationship, and love addiction. Mm -hmm. My mother was an alcoholic. Her father was an alcoholic. All my sisters are alcoholics. Like, mm -hmm. is it like a destiny that if you have an alcoholic parent, you're going to be codependent because we hear that. And I was like, I'm going to ask her about that. Well, like a destiny because they were alcoholics, you'll probably end up being codependent. Well, probably. I mean, <clears throat> I couldn't say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, always. But given that behavior, especially an alcoholic parent, mm -hmm. is not going to be present. A baby needs a parent to be present to look in the eye and know what they're feeling and respond appropriately. That's going to be pretty rare. Exactly. With a, an alcoholic parent. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't even have to be alcoholic. Of course, a personality disorder, same thing. It's all about them, uh, the parent. And then if it's a depressed, or even if they have like too many children, 
that they can't take care of her financial or marital problems. Mm -hmm. And so there's other issues in the family. So, or just insecurity, it's going to lead to this dysfunctional family system. Mm -hmm. And that's where they found leads to codependency, dysfunctional family system, mental illness, mental health problems, mm -hmm. or health problems in the family growing up. All right. That clears up the board. So we know what we're talking about here, folks. What is in your book that I don't think I've heard before, and maybe it's because I missed that part, but you have something you are calling, say, the victim of a narcissist or, or a codependent. There's, there's the two parts. There's a narcissist you know, dependency issue, and then there's an accommodator. Can you tell everyone what an accommodator is? And then we'll go into the core symptoms of codependency and work through the difference between the narc. Okay. <clears throat> well, in my book, Conquering Shame and Codependency, I think it's behind me. I don't know if you can see, yep, it. I can see it. Yeah. Um, I talk about three personality types. And this is just universal. There's people that move towards others. There's people that back away from others. Mm -hmm. And there's people that move against others. When you think of how can we respond in a relationship, mm -hmm. we move forward, we move backwards, or we try to push the person away. So um, I, and this is, comes from the work of Karen Horney. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to integrate her incredible research and her, her work. Um, I think her book that I love is Neuroses and Human Growth, like from the 50s, wow. psychoanalyst. And into how does this relate to codependency? And so I describe uh, the people that move against someone as masters and the people who move towards people, others as uh, codependents and or accommodators, excuse me. And the people that withdraw are bystanders. They don't want to get involved. Mm -hmm. So in a healthy uh, family, a healthy personality, mm -hmm. you have all three abilities, depending on the situation. If it's an intimate relationship, you move forward. If you feel threatened, you move away. Or you don't want to get involved. Uh, if you have to assert yourself you or defend yourself, you might move against someone. But codependents and narcissists get stuck in primarily in one of those modes. Mm -hmm. And for instance, they might please all the time. Maybe it's a good thing to do at work, but not necessarily with a stranger or with, um, with your relationship, not with your children. You don't want to be indulging them and say yes to everything they want. So you should be able to fluctuate. But in, in insecure situations between a parent and child, Children develop one of these styles based on their personality and their genetics. Mm -hmm. So you could see that with babies, just some are more um, docile and, and others are more feisty and rebellious. And so 
those are ways that we adapt to cope and survive in the family. And I say that not all masters are narcissists and not, and codependents sometimes are not always accommodator. There are codependents that are rebellious too. Okay. So you can think of some addicts and bullies. Mm -hmm. You know, I say that, that narcissists are codependent too. Yeah. And we'll get into that. Yeah. So they may, those masters may be moving against someone pushing them away, but that's how they stay safe. Mm -hmm. Because to them, power is preeminent. And that's how they decided to stay face, say, <laughs> stay safe in the family. Mm -hmm. If I have power, if I'm in control, then you can't hurt me. Right. I want to be the top dog. So they are codependent in the way they need others to follow them, to admire them, they want people to respect them and admire them. My narcissistic mother would say, I don't care if you love me, but you have to respect me. Okay. So it's like a duty. And that was always kind of baffled me, you know, because I wanted a loving relationship. So myself and accommodating codependents, they want to be accepted. Mm -hmm. And um, they try to accommodate people to be loved and accepted. Mm -hmm. And then the bystander says, you know, it's like the lost child in the um, alcoholic dysfunctional family system. They're just going to be on their computer or video games or read a book in the old days. <laughs> and they're just going to not get involved. Right. And that's how they stay safe. Mm -hmm. I don't want to mix in. Makes sense. All right, we're going to go to core symptoms of um, codependency, shame, low self-esteem, dependency, denial, control, dysfunctional boundaries, and dysfunctional communication. Can we start with shame and um, tell us the differences of how it manifests in the narcissist and the codependent accommodators? Um, how does shame manifest for both of them? Okay, well, I gave some examples of shame. Right. And, you know, one way to cope with that is that you're going to admire me mm -hmm. for the narcissist mm -hmm. and for a codependent. I'll, I'll use, when I say codependent, I'm going to be referring to like the accommodator, the partner, even though I also think the narcissist is codependent, just for clarity. So the accommodator, the codependent is going to want to be accepted. Mm -hmm. And then they don't feel ashamed. Remember I said they yearn for that parent to want a relationship with them, mm -hmm. to feel like they're enough, they're valued mm -hmm. that way. So, but a narcissist is, well, he also wants to be admired by people. And then it's like a bottomless pit. It's never enough. He wants pledges of loyalty. <laughs> and he, he wants praise. Ashamed of being vulnerable, the narcissist, like they hide their 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 absolutely right. Absolutely. So a lot of I go into more of that. So let's talk about the narcissist first. The narcissist, the shame leads to aggressive communication, rage. These are defenses to shame. I list about eight or nine defenses in my book on shame, and denial, repression. They deny deny those vulnerable feelings. 
They deny their need for connection. Anything that to them is weak, the opposite of power, they want power. So anything that shows weakness, mm -hmm. invulnerability, uh, fear, things like that, fragility, but if they can't do something, you know, that's a sign of uh, some flaw that they have, that they want to deny those feelings. Mm -hmm. So they repress them. So they may, it may break through, especially with a vulnerable narcissist, they will feel more shame consciously. And, but a grandiose is may, may or may not, mm -hmm. depends on the individual. Uh -huh. And as I said, perfectionism, they have to be perfect. In fact, you could think of narcissism as the pursuit of perfection. They, you know, you hear that word a lot by narcissists that, you know, they did it perfectly or they spoke perfectly or whatever. And they want you to be perfect too. And they're going to look for all your flaws. Mm -hmm. It's called, I wrote an ebook. Um, I'm not perfect. I'm just human. How to overcome perfectionism. And the worst kind of perfectionism for a partner is other directed perfectionism. So they, they're always finding fault with you. And that would be typical of a narcissist when <laughs> they're in that, you know, fault finding phase. So another would be dependency. Uh, they're ashamed of dependency. And that's one way they cope is by being dependent. They need other people to fill them up, to lift them up, to praise them. That makes them dependent. You know, it's interesting. Most partners are afraid that if they set a boundary or they complain about something, uh, that the narcissist will leave. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah, codependence underneath you know, codependency is a emotional abandonment. It goes back to childhood. Mm. When that mother or father is not paying attention to you, ignoring you, shaming you in some way or other, mm. that's an emotional abandonment. They could be right there. And you could be in bed with someone and feel emotionally abandoned. So it's not about, um, you know, distance, uh, proximity. It's yeah. an internal thing. Mm -hmm. And you can be enmeshed with someone who's 3,000 miles away. You just talk to them on the phone, and you're reacting all over the place. Right. So it's, it's just an internal boundary, emotional thing. Mm -hmm. So if you're afraid of setting a boundary because you're afraid that the narcissist will leave, or you talk about leaving, notice what they say. They say, who would ever want you? Mm -hmm. You're too old. And look at your fat. And the grass isn't any greener. And, and by the way, if you, you know, want a divorce, you'll never see your kids again, mm -hmm. things like that, all those threats, that intimidation, those put downs. Mm -hmm. If you're not, if you don't have weak boundaries where you're absorbing all of this and you look at it objectively, what are they doing? They're trying to talk you out of leaving. Mm -hmm. yeah. True. True. But you, but a codependent doesn't think that. They think, oh, my God, you know, maybe it's right. I'll never, I'm too old. <laughs> I'm unattractive. Um, I did my You know, yeah. yeah. They tap into whatever your vulnerability is so that you believe it. Like, oh, you gained weight after the baby. Well, now he's gonna, they're going to call you fat, right? So they're tapping into your biggest pain right. to convince you. But to look underneath. What's their motive? They don't want you to leave. I love that. 
That's awesome. So they are more dependent. And I've had clients where they were starting to set boundaries and the pushback, which you will get, started really escalating. Uh And uh, this one woman, her partner started packing everything up, got a trailer. I mean, he was like all out, you know, this is over. You know, you could file for divorce. And then, and she was like having a breakdown. She was ready to, you know, um, she was really having a hard time holding on to her boundary. And the last minute, he looked for some silly little request of hers. He says, I won't leave if you do, you know, do X, Y, Z. So he figured out a way to back down off of his red line. So, but you know, then it starts all over again. So you have to be consistent with your boundary. Mm-hmm. Just like if you're trying to uh, train a toddler from having tantrums in the supermarket, or or a dog that's like climbing on the dinner table. If you relent, then what message does that show? It shows that. If you make enough noise or try hard enough, I'll relent. Anyway, going back to, uh, and I go a whole section on boundaries and, and abuse in a couple chapters and how to do this, I have scripts and all of that. So going back to shame and narcissism. So entitlement, like I'm, and arrogance, I'm better and I want to associate with the best people and you know, celebrities and powerful people and rich people and talented people. They want to hang around with high status people and they feel better and then they're more entitled and I should be first and get the best table and only go to the best restaurant. And by the way, the rules don't apply to me. All that being superior, that's all a defense to shame. In fact, just about every trait of narcissism is a defense to shame all their defenses. And uh, you can see the, oh, their whole character is a defense to shame. Uh-huh. So they will say they have good self-esteem, but no, it's inflated. It's impaired. And research shows that they, um, well, they used to say that narcissists had high self-esteem because they would answer all these self-reporting questions in research. Mm-hmm. about how great they were and how they think highly of themselves. Well, it's true to a point. That's what they show the world. And then someone got the bright idea to have these um, subjects, these narcissists, wired up to a, a lie detector test, Whoa. And which really wasn't even turned on. But they thought that they were being tested. So then they were more honest. They said, well, yeah, sometimes, you know, I feel, you know, bad or I'm not good enough. They were more honest. Mm-hmm. So yes. And the inflation is, imp- I call it impaired self-esteem because too high or too low, it's impaired. So inflation means you're, you're thinking you're better than what's real. Self-esteem is based in reality. So I'm not good at that. 
you know, and yeah, I am overweight and I need to work on it. It's not necessarily that I'm great in everything. Uh It's realistic. Yeah. Yeah. Another trait that they do is impression management. They are always scanning the environment to see who's on top and who's getting the most attention. Mm-hmm. And then they brag or they praise you or they try to, um, you know, flirt with you, charm you. That's why they're so charming. And that's impression management. And that's why it could be very uh, difficult when you're first dating someone to realize that they're a narcissist because they want, they want to make you like them. Mm-hmm. Just like a codependent, by the way. Mm-hmm. And so their impression management is, and they do that until they know they've hooked you, and then it's too much work. They don't bother doing that anymore. So that's why you think um, codependents like hang in there and keep trying to please because they're hoping that that amiable, charming narcissist that they dated in the beginning is going to come back. But that was all to win you. It was the chase you know, about the conquest. So another thing that they do is they make up reality. If reality doesn't make them look good, they'll change the facts. Why not? <laughs> yeah, it, it didn't happen that way. Um, and then, of course, their grandiosity and bragging and boasting, that's all defense to shame, as I mentioned, the attention-seeking, and then envy. Mm-hmm. Narcissists envy somebody else. And by the way, codependents do this too. They might envy someone else they think is doing better than them. Mm-hmm. Look at my colleagues are getting promoted. They're making more money. Why don't I own a home? All my friends from college now own their own home. Mm-hmm. It's all comparing. If you look underneath, it's like, I'm not enough. I'm not doing well enough. Mm-hmm. Narcissists do another thing too. They think other people envy them. So codependents usually do that. Narcissists will think they're envying them. You know, referring back again to my my mother, I would uh, complain to her sometimes if a girlfriend in middle school or grammar school, you know, was hurt my feelings in some way. And so she would say, well, they're just envying you. And that made no sense to me. And it certainly wasn't helpful. What good is that? Wasn't comforting. So she, that's an example of misattunement and lack of empathy. She wasn't saying, oh, that must feel terrible. And maybe give me some solution right. of how to talk to this friend. So a child needs empathy and they need help. So I didn't get either in that situation. And some narcissists will take it a step further and then they'll be vindictive. Some? They think. (laughs) (laughs) Well. Most. It depends. You know, narcissism is on a a scale. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sounds like you were involved with a malignant one and what you went through. I think so. Well, I think so. And and again, most of my clients experience that as well, you know? Yeah. Well, when they're when they feel humiliated, that's when they take out you know the big guns mm-hmm. because again, it's a defense to shame. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to try to make you pay, so then I'd be on top. 
if you put me down, now I have to turn the tables and be on top. Mm -hmm. So somehow I'm going to get back at you. Mm -hmm. The retaliation. Yeah. Okay. Um, arrogance. I've been, contempt. It's kind of a, another form of arrogance. Mm -hmm. Look down your nose at someone mm -hmm. and have contempt for them. Mm -hmm. And that's a defense to shame too. Again, I'm better and you're lower. So did I over, oh, the false self. They don't show you who they really are. They don't even know who they really are. So that false self. And codependents do that too. They're not in touch with their true self. Control. They have to dominate, control you. And again, you're subordinate. So they have to be on top because that's how they feel safe and not vulnerable and less than or weak. You know, it's, they feel very fragile inside. And with along with that, they blame, they project. Projection is a defense to shame. It's not me, it's you. I didn't make a mistake, it's your fault. You shouldn't have done, you know, and sometimes it's laughable. There's no causal reality. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but anything to not take responsibility. They're, most abusers, doesn't have to be a narcissist. They don't wanna take responsibility because that shows that they're flawed. Yeah. And, you know, I've shared openly that I was in Al-Anon for many years. And I remember in the beginning, if my husband would call me out on something, I, I would just deny it or make excuses. I couldn't take responsibility either until I had raised my self-esteem a little bit. And then I could say, yeah, I did that. So what? You know, yeah, not a big deal. So that comes with shame and low self-esteem and self-pity even. So feeling sorry for yourself is like the responsibility is out there. So they're doing it to me. So it's another way of saying I'm not responsible because underneath, I don't feel strong enough or good enough to take responsibility. So instead of being um, abusive and aggressive in their communication, usually accommodators are more passive. Or sometimes, you know, accommodators and narcissists might be passive aggressive. So they'll be indirect. They won't tell you what they're thinking. They'll ask questions, usually. They don't make assertive I statements. Um, but they, they don't ask for their needs. They don't say what they're feeling. So their communication is not assertive. And narcissists are not assertive either. They're aggressive or passive aggressive. And instead of feeling entitled, they feel unentitled because they're more aware of not feeling good enough. They need to feel more entitled. They need more narcissism in the healthy respect. They can be controlling too. Mm -hmm. They're often judging, helping people, giving advice, rescuing people. That's all a way of managing and controlling, telling people what to do. They know what other, what's best for other people. Mm -hmm. They get upset when their advice isn't followed. Mm -hmm. yeah. You don't want their advice. They feel hurt and angry mm -hmm. often. They have this false self that I'm nice. I only have, I smile. I only have good feelings towards you. Often their anger is suppressed. That's another 
denial of the, some of their needs and their feelings, mm-hmm. often their need for love. Um, for some codependents, they act like they're self-sufficient, sometimes similar to, to the narcissist, like I can handle it. They don't want to ask. They, don't, they have trouble receiving, whereas a narcissist, they give me, give me, give me, and the narcissist, the codependent is like, I'll give you, I'll give it to you, I'll give it to you. So, you know, it's kind of the flip side. They often have trouble receiving. Uh, they don't feel good enough to receive. So you give them a compliment and they'll tell you uh, why they don't deserve it, or they'll distrust your opinion, uh, or they'll think either because you're, they think you're manipulating them or they think you don't even have good taste. <laughs> they don't respect you enough to, to value your compliment. Mm-hmm. Now extrapolate that to love. So if you can't get a compliment, how are you going to feel that you deserve to be loved? So true. Deserve to have your needs met. Deserve to have your boundaries respected. Mm-hmm. You know, I've given assertiveness classes And one exercise I do is to tell, and you can do this for listeners on your own, make a list of your rights. Things you have like a right to my feelings, a right to my opinion. For example, make your own list. And then make a fist and stand up and say, I have a right to my feelings. I have a right to my needs. I did this in a group of women in recovery. And Almost 90% of them started giggling. They could not assert their rights with a straight face and mean it. So how are you going to communicate that Mm -hmm. to someone else, let alone a narcissist Mm -hmm. who doesn't think you deserve anything except abuse? So you have to start to in the heel. And I go into this in my book also, um, uh, Dating, Loving, and Leaving a Narcissist. You have to start to feel that you have rights, identify your needs, feelings, and that leads to, do you feel entitled to them? Mm -hmm. And then the language to assert them Mm -hmm. and stand behind them. And even if you get pushback, Mm -hmm. hold your ground. Mm -hmm. So I mentioned denial then of needs, of feelings, Um, perfectionism. Many codependents are perfectionistic. Mm-hmm. Same reason, I'm um, unapproach beyond reproach. If I'm perfect, you can't criticize me, mm-hmm. and I don't have to feel their internal shame. It's not perfect enough. Okay, yeah. that that's so. one that, that almost everyone I grew up with, like, is has always struggled with because of where we lived and the pressure that perfectionism is out of the out of the field here and um you know didn't they don't see it as a codependent thing that i'm trying to teach them oh good well you know if you have a perfectionistic parent that'll definitely lead to shame so it's very hard um so codependents have impaired self-esteem that comes from the shame and they have anxiety and depression uh these difficult feelings narcissists do they have often more again more the vulnerable narcissists Mm -hmm. have more anxiety and depression um and whereas 
they repress their own more aggressive feelings. They want to be nice and pleasing. Mm -hmm. They want to be likable. So they idealize the narcissist who is bold and decisive. And the codependent is more indecisive. And uh, one of the reasons is because of their own internal critic. Mm -hmm. Because it's not always what other people think. Mm -hmm. It's that they will judge themselves. If they say yes, if they say no, whatever they decide, they think, well, I made a mistake. I should have done the other thing. Mm -hmm. So I go into this. I have a book, <clears throat> uh, 10 Steps to Self-Esteem, The Ultimate Guide to Stop Self-Criticism. Because that's really... Uh, the first step you need to do in building self-esteem is I call it pulling the weeds <laughs> uh, and also in, in overcoming shame. So this lack of self-trust and indecisiveness comes from the shame underneath. Sensitivity to criticism. They share that with narcissists too. Narcissists typically have very thin skin. You don't want to criticize them. You want to ask for things in a non-judgmental way. Mm -hmm. And I explain how to do that in my book. Um, what else? So the people-pleasing, of course, mm -hmm. and the giving I mentioned, guilt. So narcissists don't typically feel guilt, although some do, actually. I even had clients where their spouse has apologized, mm -hmm. which is rare for a narcissist, but sometimes depends on, again, the degree of narcissism. Because you could have all nine traits that are severe, or you could have a minimum five, and they could be mild. And some people are more introspective, mm -hmm. so they're able to think about their feelings. Mm -hmm. um, and they both have emptiness underneath. Underneath the codependency, and especially if they start withdrawing from their addiction, to someone else, mm -hmm. they may feel empty. When they stop trying to please and caretake or leave a relationship, they, all this like loneliness comes in often, uh, unless it's filled with a new addiction like work, mm -hmm. eating disorders, um, uh, substance abuse, and you know, or process addiction, shopping. You know, underneath that can be. Uh, the emptiness or even exercise addiction, you know, some kind of compulsive behavior. It helps you not to feel that emptiness underneath. Mm -hmm. And that's what drives uh, narcissists too. That's why you can never please them. Right. Their needs are, it's like a bottomless pit, a, pit, a bottomless pit. So you think if you go along to get along, satisfy them you'll get your needs met well it doesn't work that way mm -hmm. you have to teach them that relationships are a two-way street because mm -hmm. in the beginning the narcissist puts himself first and the codependent puts the narcissist first too so they're in agreement yeah. but after a while that gets pretty tiresome <laughs> you realize <laughs> you're more and more unhappy and this is a one-way relationship that could take a year or it could take 20 years. But however long it takes, you start to realize that your needs aren't getting met and you're unhappy. 
And then you start to ask for more. Well, the narcissist is not going to like that. Mm -hmm. Right. Because it started off. He says, they're saying you changed. You know, you were pleasing me. Yeah. And say, well, you changed. You started putting me down. Mm -hmm. So in the beginning, that works, that formula. But yeah. not for the long term. So I didn't mention with the narcissist, but they both have impaired intimacy. Mm -hmm. It comes from... Uh, from shame. So typically, codependents don't believe that of themselves. They say, I just keep dating unavailable men or women that are emotionally unavailable. They don't really, because it's unconscious with them. It's manifest. The other person is creating distance. So they're, you know, a pursuer or something. Mm -hmm. Or they're typically, they have insecure attachment style. Mm -hmm. So they're withdrawing. Research shows, surprisingly, grandiose narcissists may have secure attachment styles. Really? They may, yeah. Well, some like to be in a... That doesn't mean they're nice. <laughs> it just means they um, can be present in the... Uh, I'll take that back. That they can be secure in a relationship. They want a long-term relationship for pragmatic reasons. Mm -hmm. You know, you're going to take care of their home. You're going to take care of their kids. You uh, look good beside them. Make them dinner. Yeah, you're a mate. So they often are sometimes in a secure attachment style. The vulnerable narcissist, no. But codependents are usually insecure. And there's the pursuers or distancers. Mm -hmm. And... Um, so if you have someone that wants to be with you all the time, well, wait a minute, I'm feeling smothered. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that comes from shame too. I, it's kind of involved. I won't go into that now, but I do in my book on shame. And, oh, I was going to say. Well, that one too. Yeah. There's a lot in there. Absolutely. Yeah. So one of the traits, it doesn't relate to shame, but you could see where narcissists and codependents are mirror images of each other. And it may be a little hard to wrap your mind around, but it's very telling because narcissists don't see other people as individuals. They see people as like cardboard cutouts, two-dimensional. That's because they can't empathize. Mm -hmm. And they don't think that you have these feelings and needs separate from their own. It's all about them. So they... Their boundaries are distorted because they only really see themselves, not others. Now, the codependent is the reverse. They don't see themselves. They're un unaware of their own needs and feelings. They're focusing on others. Mm -hmm. So they're, both of them have um, dysfunctional boundaries, impaired boundaries. But again, it's like a mirror. So it kind of fits together. Mm -hmm. Well, Darlene, there's one more thing that I want you to show my audience because I'm so excited to get mine ordered. You invented <laughs> a new mug. So can you tell us? It's so cool. Well, I keep telling clients and all my interviews and stuff that people should remember this um, acronym, Q-tip. Quit taking it personally. And then I decided to make a mug. Can you see it? Uh-huh. Remember Q-tip. And on one side it says, remember Q-tip. 
And then the other side. So every morning, if you have your tea or coffee, you remind yourself. Quit taking it personally. That's right. Because it's all projection. I've heard the saying that like um, accusations are confessions. Oh, yeah. From a narcissist. Yeah. So they really are. As I said, it's all about them. I can't wait to get mine. Everybody, we'll put a link down below where you can get that as well as her book. So um, we will see you again next time, Darlene. Thanks so much. I hope you found that helpful. I adore this book. And I wrote a great um, reference for it on Amazon. I was like, everyone has to have this. I think three times today I recommended it to clients. It's unusual and it's really informative. Um, Darlene is a codependency expert. She's written Codependency for Dummies and a whole bunch of other books. And we'll put all the links down below as well as the link to this book. But thank you so much for showing up. This has been a long interview. Thank you for staying. We're so excited that you're here. And let's go heal our codependency. You'll find out how in the book. <laughs>